0: Hello and welcome to Counterthought, a podcast dedicated to my counterthoughts about mainstream media, politics, and culture, and the impact on our nation. I am your host, Brian Fletter. You can follow this podcast on its Facebook page, Counterthought Podcast, on Instagram at counter underscore thought, and on Twitter at counter underscore podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 17 of Counterthought. Now that the first official weekend of college football is over with, I want to dive into the name, image, and likeness that has been swirling around the sport for uh, at least a decade. Uh, It goes back all the way uh, until I was in college. It's also referred to as NIL, name, image, and likeness. And it impacts all of college athletics, but the most publicized, I would say, would be College football, it brings in the most money within college sports, and then you get into college basketball and maybe a couple other sports that generate some revenue, college baseball, softball, women's basketball, and and some others like that, but college football has begun. Thankfully, my Gators won wasn't too impressive. There were some individual performances that were very impressive, but got the win Moving on to next week, USF, but let's dive into this name, image, and likeness, and see and see what this is all about. Because this has been a long time coming. Again, I remember studying this in my sports law class in grad school, which takes me back at least ten years, ten or eleven years, and it took. It was under already underway then. Uh, cases being made against the NCAA, the National Collegiate Athletic Association. Cases were being made then. We were studying case law about uh, people bringing cases for money being made off of their name, image, and likeness, going into video games and just regular TV broadcasts. So I would say this is at least a twenty-year issue. All right. So the name, image, and likeness. If you are not familiar with, if you are not familiar with the name, image, and likeness, basically what it has to do with is now college athletes or student athletes are allowed to make money to be compensated beyond just the educational ways and housing that they were compensated for with their scholarships. So traditionally, or up until now, up until now, a student athlete, not all sports, but let's just say here for, for football and basketball, men's and women's, get a full ride scholarship. So you get your books paid for, your housing paid for. I know for sure if you are living in a dorm on campus or living on campus, I don't know if you go off campus, if you still get the money for it, but you know, not paid directly to the school, but you get the money and then it's pay for your apartment. I'm not sure about that, but room, board, tuition, all of that paid for meals paid for as an athlete. I worked for the women's basketball team at the University of Florida. And, you know, there are meals for your travels. There are meals sometimes during the week. Um, The nutritional aspect and everything for the athletes. Not every meal is paid for, but you get a certain uh, amount of money, like towards a meal plan as well. And depending on where you go to school, University of Florida is fairly cheap especially if you are uh, in-state tuition, but if you go to different states or different colleges, you know, the price of tuition and other expenses, living expenses jumps. So the argument was, oh, well, we don't need to compensate beyond the education because the education over four years could be worth, you know, 15, 20,000 a year. So 60 to 80,000 a year and beyond. Like that's plenty. And also look at the platform we're giving you as a, as a student athlete. What can you do with that when you leave the school? And that was just accepted for the longest time. I mean, the NCAA began in 1906. So over 100 years ago. And when the NCAA began, it was all about the student athlete. And you heard the talks all the way until this name, image, and likeness, the NCAA touting amateurism. And regardless of tens and hundreds of millions and even into the billions of dollars being made in college athletics by the NCAA and also the athletic conferences, you would always hear amateurism. That's the beauty of college athletics is amateurism, which basically means that the student athletes are not compensated as a professional athlete is compensated. They don't have contracts, TV deals, shoe deals, other paid advertisements and sponsorships and so on and so forth. But a typical student, like what I was, if I wanted to go out and become a, and got, I could go out and get compensated as a spokesperson for something. I could go out and get paid to do X, Y, Z, but a student athlete couldn't because that would have been seen as compensation beyond the education. Well, name, image, and likeness came about because there was just too much money being made in college athletics, and all of it again was going to the conferences, which you could argue, I guess, funnels its way back down to the student athlete. All the all the extravagant things that they have now, especially in in, in college football, the facilities they have are ridiculous. We're talking hundreds of millions of dollars in facilities indoor practice facilities, recording studios, uh, the treatment and everything that recruits get, just wined and dined to the nines. There was just too much money. Too much money. I mean, hundreds of millions of dollars to the conferences, now creeping up into the billions for the top conference in the SEC, and that is just for football. That doesn't include the hundreds of millions of dollars that TV broadcast rights are given to the NCAA to broadcast just the championship events through one athletic season. We're talking around $500 million to broadcast the championships for baseball, softball, men's, women's track and field, men's, women's swimming and diving, volleyball, women's basketball, and a few other sports. Five hundred million dollars, but how much is going back directly to the athletes in the form of direct compensation, direct payments? Well, the answer up until now was zero. Again, the athletes benefited because of the um, the amenities that are now at a lot of these schools, especially the big big programs, the top programs in different states or in each state. But there were no direct payments, there were no checks being written or direct deposits, I guess, nowadays. There were no direct deposits being made to the star quarterback, to the star point guard, to the number one pitcher or the best fielder on a baseball team, to the starting pitcher on the softball team, to the best player on the women's basketball team, to the best swimmer or gymnast. There were not direct payments being made. It came through in the form of amenities. And again, The NCAA would always say student-athlete and amateurism. That's the beauty. College athletics is all about the love of the game. Pro sports, you lose that. Pro sports is the job. So the NCAA focused on amateurism, keeping college athletics, college sports, pure. No compensation. You could get scholarships, and that education and what you made of it was your form of compensation. But there were not checks being written by, <laughs> not legally, um, checks being written by boosters and, and businesses and so on and so forth directly to athletes. That was the draw. You have professional sports, contracts, being paid money directly. And then college athletics was amateurism. And you see that also, or at least... That was the claim as well for the Olympics. Amateurs. But then the Olympics started folding in the professional athletes from each of these countries. And now that amateurism aspect of the Olympics is gone. Competition's too great. The money is too great. So when the NCAA began in 1906, again over 100 years ago, there was no TV. Like, there was no TV revenue. You had newspapers... Radio was getting into the mix or being developed. But there was no TV. There were you no know, millions of dollars, no thousands of dollars being being given to any, any college or anything like that from television. That didn't exist. So it was easy to focus on the student athlete as a student athlete. Student first, athlete second. But then as time went on, and capitalism, I believe and this is my belief, one of the downfalls of capitalism when it comes to the college sports is this name, image, and likeness and how this whole thing was handled, which I'll get into here in in a little bit. But the money became too great. There were too many ways for um, media companies and other businesses to make money off of the popularity of college athletics. Because if you went to a college that had college athletics, especially if you had like a top program in football or basketball, you know the the bond that is shared whenever you get back together to cheer on your school's team, year after year after year, game after game after game. I myself grew up in Florida, went to the University of Florida football games from the time I was a year old. I'm 35 now. And I mean, I had this camaraderie with people I didn't even know before I was even a student and a graduate of the University of Florida. And then now going back, it doesn't even matter how, far you've, how long you've been gone. You can go back, walk up to a tailgate, introduce yourself. People are going to offer you something to eat or to drink. You're going to share stories from the time you went to school there or the memories you have watching certain games. There's just a certain connection with your, with your college, your school. And then the pageantry of all the sports. That bond that you have singing fight songs in your alma mater. Uh, in my case, doing the gator chomp in other schools, they have like some of their own uh, hand signals, if that's what you want to call it, as part of their cheers, their chants. And that was great. And that is still great in college athletics. But the money crept in. And you began to see more and more money being made by the schools, by the conferences, by the NCAA, and less and less money directly, well not less and less money, but zero money, still not going directly to the college athletes. I mean listen to some of these entertainment revenues for college athletic conferences recent in recent history. So above and beyond football brings in the most money of any college sport. Baseball might have been might be America's pastime, but football is America's present. The amount of money generated for college football, not to mention the NFL, which is ridiculous on itself in itself, is far and away the biggest sport in the United States. So much so that in college athletics, football programs at the University of Florida bring in the revenue to fuel all but maybe one or two other sports, all but one or two other sports bring in profit to their individual school's athletic department. But football and maybe one or two other sports brings in enough money to pay for all the other sports. That is how big football programs are and how important they are. Sure, you might have some alumni, you know, well, not some, but sure you have money coming in from alumni, from, from boosters and season ticket holders and everything, but nothing compares to the money that these schools get from TV broadcasts. Like in the SEC recently, the current contract pays out around $50, 45000000 million per school each of the 14 schools in the SEC annually off of the TV revenue alone. Going down to the smallest school like Vanderbilt, that is more than half of their sports program's budget. Going to a large program, huge school like the University of Florida, $45 million is about 45% of the school's annual athletic budget. Then you get that Guaranteed guaranteed, no matter how good or bad you are. Across all of FBS, the football bowl subdivision, which used to be known as division one, conferences pay out between 25 million to $50 million per school per year. And that amount's only going to increase. If you haven't noticed, money continues to grow. Things are becoming more and more expensive. The dollars are always going up because of competition. People want to have the rights to the top schools, the top conferences, and they're going to pay top dollar for it. And for new contracts that start in 2022 and after, it's estimated that these conference payouts per school will increase 10%, 20%, 50%, even possibly double. Like in the Southeastern Conference, you have 14 schools, and then now they've accepted Texas and Oklahoma being added, so that'll make 16 schools. Texas is a huge brand. Texas was so huge that they made a deal with ESPN going back 10 years ago to have their own 24-hour network for their athletic program, the Longhorn Network. In the SEC, they weren't looking to expand, but they see the addition of Texas and then Oklahoma are perennial Uh, top 10 program in football recently a top five program in college football they weren't looking to expand but you're not going to tell those programs no you're looking at now increasing with this upcoming new tv deal for the sec to increasing the per school revenue from the tv contract from probably 40 million per school 45 million per school up to 60 to 75 million per school. And it is actually rumored that that overall TV contract, whenever it the, whenever it comes up for the SEC with the addition of Texas and Oklahoma, could be a billion dollar annual contract for the conference. That contract alone would surpass the TV revenue for the entire NCAA for one athletic conference. Now, speaking of the NCAA, (laughs) it's not like they're lacking money. Listen to some of this information, some of these dollar figures. TV, the NCAA revenue comes from TV broadcast rights for men's basketball, March Madness. That's the big one. March Madness is huge. We are all familiar with it, at least I hope we all are. If not, um, Starting in March of next year in 2022, please turn on your TV to CBS, True TV, or TBS starting in the, the second week of March, and you'll find out all about March Madness. And like I mentioned earlier, there are broadcast rights with ESPN to broadcast the other sports. Baseball, softball, volleyball, gymnastics, swimming and diving, um, lacrosse, and, and so on and so forth but the big money is March Madness. CBS and Turner, Turner Broadcasting, their original contract with the NCAA was for 14 years at $10.8 billion. That's an average of $770 million per year just for March Madness. Like I said, if you're unfamiliar with March Madness, that is for four weekends of basketball. $770 $770 million for four weeks of basketball. And then in 2016, that contract received an eight-year extension, which gives CBS and Turner broadcast rights through 2032. And the per-year average will jump to $1.1 billion, billion dollars—billion with a B, $1.1 billion in 2025, three and a half years from now. billion. So CBS and Turner Broadcasting believe that there is so much money to be made on advertisements and other revenue streams for them to be able to pledge $1.1 billion to the NCAA. Now the College World Series, as I mentioned, baseball, also brings in a good amount of revenue for the NCAA. Um, not just the College World Series, but also the super re- the regional and the super regional tournaments that, that are played leading up to it. And so does the Women's College World Series. College softball is huge, but nowhere near March Madness for men's basketball. In 2025, $1.1 billion. In 2011, this is the ESPN NCAA championships deal that I've been mentioning. That was signed in 2011. The NCAA signed a TV deal with ESPN equal to 11 years and $500 million to give exclusive rights to ESPN to broadcast the championships across multiple men's and women's NCAA sports. And that's up for renewal. 11 years, starting in 2011. 2022, it's next year. So we'll see what that new contract is and if ESPN is going to keep it. So you can see that there is so much money being made off of student athletes. I was listing just the SEC for college football, potentially getting up to a billion dollars in two years when Oklahoma and Texas join in to the SEC and playing games, that's one conference. FBS has the power five, so five big conferences. And then they have some smaller conferences. So we are well over, gonna be well over for sure the two billion dollar mark for college football and just TV rights. Well over two billion. That's for conferences, and then over a billion for the NCAA. So there is no shortage of money in college athletics. There is an abundance of money. And this is because of the capitalism, right? This is because of capitalism. But when it comes to college athletics, I think it's, it hasn't always been great. And I'll get into that here in a second. So like I mentioned, too much money being made by everyone else but the student athletes. But that all changed this past year with the Supreme Court. So earlier this year, the Supreme Court, in a 9-0 unanimous decision, upheld a lower court's decision that the NCAA restrictions on, quote, education-related benefits, end quote, for college athletes violated antitrust law. Justice Neil Gorsuch authored the majority opinion in favor of the plaintiffs, and, you need to clarify, this only dealt with the, quote, education-related benefits, you remember I mentioned earlier, athletes get a scholarship and they get their education is paid for, especially in basketball and football. Baseball, for some reason, has partial scholarships, which is a whole different topic, but you get the education-related benefits. You don't get direct payments from the school or from the conference, like a $1,000 here, a couple thousand dollars there in your bank account. This is all education-related benefits. So this 9-0 unanimous Supreme Court decision did not deal with the larger issue of pay for play. Now, from the NCAA's point of view, even though it was a unanimous 9-0 Supreme Court decision, it's only related to education benefits. So the NCAA can spin this and say this is a win for them because this decision still allows for the NCAA to create limits on benefits unrelated to education. However, during the case, Justice Brett Kavanaugh attacked the circular nature of the NCAA's argument that athletes are uh, athletes not being paid, which, as I mentioned, is considered am- is amateurism. That was the whole appeal of the NCAA, amateurism. People are playing, these student-athletes are playing for the love of the game, not because of the money they're being paid. But Justice Kavanaugh said that the amateurism argument drew stark analogies to how ridiculous the NCAA's business model would be if it applied to other industries. Like I said, antitrust law. Justice Kavanaugh said a major violation of antitrust law. And he said, quote, nowhere else in America can businesses get away with agreeing not to pay their workers a fair market rate on the theory that their product is defined by not paying their workers a fair market rate. The NCAA is not above the law, the antitrust law. Kavanaugh is saying here, no other industry, the auto industry. No one there, Ford, Chevy, Toyota, whomever, no one is saying, Hey, you know we don't pay our our workers anything. And that's why we're so great. But the NCAA, their whole appeal is amateurism, clean and pure. You get scholarships but there are no direct payments to these athletes. They're playing for the love of the game, which was great in the beginning. But again, to me, capitalism led to all of this. There was just too much money to be made. Too many people, or I shouldn't say too many people, but there were so many people who wanted to enjoy their school athletic events that television companies, other media outlets saw that there was money to be made And they went and made it. All the while for decades, not giving the athletes anything beyond the educational benefits. And the cries for this compensation just became too strong and has led to the name, image, and likeness. So name, image, and likeness, or NIL, as it's referred to. NIL is a policy that provides the following guidance to college athletes, recruits, their families, and member schools. Individuals can engage and NIL activities that are consistent with the law of the state where the school is located. Colleges and universities may be a resource for state law questions, not the NCAA. You have to go to your college or your state. So you may have heard something over this past year. Different states are going into last year, really. States trying to become and quickly pass laws that dealt with this, name, image, and likeness. Not only to help their state, but to help their state through the schools that they had. Florida was a fast mover. I think California was maybe one of the ones or was the one that first had like changes being made to their law. At least voted on and approved. But their law didn't go into effect for a couple years. Whereas Florida, the state of Florida, passed a law that went to effect the next year, which is this year. And the benefit of that is for schools like the University of Florida, Florida State University, University of Miami, University of South Florida, University of Central Florida, University of North Florida, so on and so forth. All these colleges and universities in the state of Florida could now say hey to the, to the recruits, hey, starting in 2021, our state now allows for name, image, and likeness and for you to be compensated Come play here. Don't go to this other school in this other state that hasn't acted upon this. Come here to the state of Florida to our school where you can be compensated equal to the value that you bring. Some other things for the NIL. College athletes who attend a school in a state without a name, image, and likeness law can engage in this type of activity without violating NCAA rules related to name, image, and likeness. Individuals can use a professional services provider for name, image, and likeness activities. Student athletes should report name, image, and likeness activities consistent with state law or school and conference requirements to their school. So even though you're going out and making money, you still need to report it. And athletes can now go make their money. When this first officially kicked in in June of this year, and I remember seeing on Twitter and Instagram, all these athletes, a lot from the University of Florida because that's who I follow, but all these athletes on that day in June, first day of the NIL going into effect, posting links and everything to personal shops that they set up for t-shirts or clothing brands for music they created, releasing details about sponsorships they have secured for themselves. A week or so went by and you get into the SEC media days for football and it comes out that Bryce Young at Alabama, Nick Saban said, is was creeping closer and closer to the seven-figure mark endorsements and sponsorships. <laughs> now, if that's not a recruiting tool, whew, hey, come be the quarterback at Alabama and you've only played a couple games in your career as a backup and your first year as a starter and you're projected to do great things, haven't proven yourself yet, but projected to be doing great things, and you're about to make a million dollars in one year while in college. Some of these athletes will make more money in college than they ever will in the NFL. There are numerous occasions where you see a top-tier college athlete, especially in football or basketball as well, college baseball and Women's basketball that don't go on and do the same level of greatness in the professional level. So the NFL, the NBA, Major League Baseball, WNBA. So some players, like imagine if, imagine if Tim Tebow had this name, image, and likeness when he was in school at the University of Florida. He would have made tens of millions of dollars as a student. And it wouldn't have even mattered what went on in the NFL as far as uh, compensation goes. He would have had his money. You could say the same probably for Ohio State and Troy Smith just a couple years earlier. Heisman Trophy winner. You could go back and say the same thing for a lot of athletes that do great things in college but don't pan out in the NFL. So there are going to be athletes now that through the name, image, and likeness that will end up making more money in college than in their professional league. So with name, image, and likeness, athletes can now go make their money, just like any other student on the camp on their campus can go and make money without any restriction, without being severely restricted on how to make this money or who this money can be paid from, because there are still some uh, rules about, you know, can't be a recruiting tool, can't come from boosters and so on and so forth. But athletes can now go make their money just like every other student on their campus can go do. And that again was one of the arguments about whether or not student athletes should be able to be compensated off of their name, image, and likeness. The student athletes would say, hey, if I wasn't an athlete and I was just a student, I could go out and make all the money I could doing X, Y, and Z. So why being an athlete does that Limit my opportunities. Well, that oppor- those limitations are gone now. Astu- athletes can now go make their money. But this isn't how I would have structured it. And let me explain to you what I mean. So originally, the proposal around college athletic athlete compensation was that money from the schools or the conferences would go into a pot. And this is when everyone's trying to figure out how to, if athletes are going to be compensated, everyone's trying to figure out Okay, what is the best way to do it? Because you don't want resentment. You don't want athletes on the same campus from different sports walking around. You don't want track and field looking at the football players and thinking, man, I know that guy right there, He's or all these players, they're getting compensated, getting an extra $2,000 a month just because they play football. And I'm over here working my butt off just as hard. But in a less valued sport doing track and field. And I'm over here getting just 500 bucks a month. I'm not even going to talk to those guys, man, forget them. So you didn't want anything like that. So all the spitballing was going on and trying to figure out what is the best way to compensate these athletes. One of the ideas was to put all of the revenue into a pot and evenly distribute it to every student athlete at that school. Now, there's a there are some drawbacks to that, right? So what if you're a school that has 20 sports? And let's say your TV, let's say the money in the pot is the same as another school that maybe has 15 sports. All right, well, that school is going to pay their athletes a little bit more money. So does that mean that Potential recruits are going to then go to that school because they could get more money from that pot? Possibly. And are athletes from, let's say, the football team that knows they bring in over half the athletic department's revenue, are they going to be cool walking around knowing that they're bringing in half the athletic department's revenue? But then you have a tennis player, no offense to tennis, I love tennis, but then you have a tennis player walking around getting compensated the same amount so the whole tennis team is being compensated the whole same amount as the football team when tennis actually loses money right so how is that going to be handled so that propo- so that proposal evolved a bit to become the pot of money being distributed to the student athletes in the amount's relative to the income of their sport or their revenue as a percent of the large of the larger total athletic department so if football brings in 50% 50% of that pot's going to go to football. Basketball might bring in 20%. So they get 20% of the pot. Baseball might bring in 10%. They get 10% of the pot. On down the line. All right, well, that still doesn't solve for the student athletes getting upset with the other sports on their own campus. I mean, you could say, well, uh, guys, come on, this should be logical sorry you chose your sport. It's great that you excel at it. Life's not fair, so what are you going to do? And then that version evolved and led to today's name, image, and likeness. But like I said, this isn't how I would have structured it. So to me, the so to me the NCAA still exists. It's an opinion of a lot of folks that the NCAA is this close, you can't see me, but itty bitty, this close to still being relevant. Basically not relevant, especially when it comes to the big revenue generating sports like football, men's basketball, baseball, um, and maybe one or two sports here or there. So what I think should have happened is I think once the name image and likeness deal NIL went down came into effect in June that the NCAA and they haven't done it yet but I think in the future this is what they should do the NCAA should be broken into two entities one entity being nonprofit and the second entity being for profit so this self explanatory the nonprofit sports so those sports that do not generate a profit, which I know is not the technical definition of nonprofit. but the sports that do not generate a profit for the athletic department, they go into the nonprofit group, and then the for-profit sports, so the sports that do generate a profit, go into the for-profit entity of the NCAA. The non-for-profit sports would function as true amateurism, which is what the NCAA again was designed for, and then the for-profit sports would function like pro-sport leagues, which is basically what sports like the football bowl subdivision, the FBS football, and men's basketball are doing now. So break the NCAA, which is just a governing body, but non-for-profit sports or non-profit sports and for-profit sports. That's what I would do with the NCAA. Let amateurism reside in the sports where there's just, sorry, not much market for in capitalism society, or in the capitalism market, there's not a whole lot of money to be made if you are on the golf team. It's great that you love that sport, and you should play that sport because you love that sport, just like the NCAA said and appealed to what they're call of amateurism. And then you have the for-profit sports, football, baseball, basketball, Just call it like it is, you star quarterback, you star basketball player, you're bringing in millions of dollars for your school, let's compensate you for that. But all in all, there is a downside to this, in my opinion. Capitalism, as great as it is, to me, is ruining college sports. At least it is ruining the big sports, the big revenue generating sports. And again, I'll focus here on on college football. So as I mentioned, you have the starting quarterback for the University of Alabama who has at least a million dollars in endorsements. He's played about two or three college, two or three football games, and he just had his first start as a full time starter this past weekend. Alabama rolled like they always do, sit under Nick Saban. Kid looked good, but he already has a million dollars of endorsements. Now, do you think that everything's going to go great for that child, that kid. I mean, he's going to be walking around his campus, a seven figure man. He's already under extreme pressure to not break any, any rules, compliance rules. He's already under pressure to be true to himself and not give in to certain temptations on campus that are going to get him in trouble with the football team or, you know, in trouble with himself or others and the school and so on and so forth. But he's going to be walking around basically with an imaginary million-dollar sign above his head. And what about the player, those, uh, his teammates? What about the offensive lineman who blocks for him? All five offensive linemen who block for him. Are they going to get jealous? What's the dynamic going to be here moving forward? when it comes to these athletes that are getting compensated based on their value, right? That's what capitalism is a tenant of capitalism. But what's going to happen with these teammate dynamics? I think there's going to be, I think this is going to not go as great as it seems. And then the powerful are just going to remain more and more powerful or just going to become more and more powerful, remain powerful. Because if you're Alabama, you don't even have to say it when you recruit. Like If that's going to be a violation, you don't have to promote it. The news will report on it. Hey, next recruit for 2023 recruiting class. Come play here. Our quarterback made a million dollars last year. You could too. But don't tell anyone we said that. Hey, star middle linebacker, defensive end, safety. Did you know the guy who just... uh finished up finished up here with us all american not only will we tur- we can turn you into an all american but you might be able to make 500,000 dollars this season hmm. so those at the top will remain at the top especially if it's a school with a big market big market more money that's what these top programs have they already have the most money the big conferences the SEC the Big 10 the ACC they already have the most money. That's why these schools continue to come from these top conferences. And this gets into a different conversation, which I won't get into now. It's more sports, but it gets into conference realignments and everything. The top conferences have the most money, have the best programs. Best programs are going to have the best athletes, and will always remain on top. You're always going to, see, you might always see until coaching changes occur. The same top 10 programs being the same top 10 programs. But I'm more interested in seeing how this is going to play out across the across the sports, across the teams. The dynamic within the locker room for a student athlete to be paid six figures, maybe potentially seven figures. And then the five guys in this case who blocked for the star quarterback might get paid five figures between all five of them. Now that's a similar dynamic in the NFL, but granted the league minimum in the NFL is over $400,000, so it's not like you're hurting if you were making the league minimum as an offensive lineman while your star quarterback though is making 40 million. But are these 18 to 22 year olds ready to handle to handle that? Are they developed enough mentally to handle that? So I think it's good that people are that athletes are being compensated for their value. But I think there are also some things in the future that could happen and could unfold that maybe weren't uh, fully thought out now, or were just brushed to the side and it's just gonna be a, we'll wait and see how this thing actually goes. So we'll see how Name, Image, and Likeness shakes out. I had to talk about it. It's been going on again for almost two decades. Finally, something has happened. There's still more to come. And again, I'll be watching closely this season this first season of the college athletic year into next season and beyond to see how exactly the change for name, image, and likeness, how that impacts the college athletic landscape. All right, that's it for this episode. Remember to subscribe and engage with me on Instagram at counter underscore thought, on Twitter at counter underscore podcast, and on the Counter Thought podcast page on Facebook. Thank you for listening to Counterthought.